Welcome to the Anime Research Group. I'm Ian. I'm Denny. I'm Freya. And this week, in our quest to watch all the shows we never had time for, we look at Yokohama Shopping Log, a chill anime to study to. So, uh, everyone, what's new in uh, anime and manga? Well, I've been back on the Gundam train. I finally got around to watching Gundam 00, The Awakening of the Trailblazer, or the movie that really should have been the finale of the show because the entire show led up to Aliens. Yeah, I I really ended up hating the movie just because it was like, it made me wait for this, you pieces of crap. I have no strong emotions on it any either which way. I'm very neutral on it, which is the worst of emotions, but it's fine. There wasn't anything I hated about it. Barring the confusion that Pink Girl all of a sudden, Pink Haired Girl all of a sudden was really obsessed with Setsuna, even though before she seemed more like to be into the uh, into the Lock-On Brothers. That was a bit odd, but yeah. otherwise it was fine. The concept of the aliens was actually interesting enough. But then I went on to watch Gundam Unicorn, which is just so much better on every level. Like It, it is unfair to compare the two, but they started being made around the same period of time, so comparison is kind of inevitable, and it's just really unfair. As, a con- as Unicorn is the big budget OVA movie like cinema released conclusion to most of the prior UC stories whereas Gundam 00 is just another alternative universe that was made on the television budget. Okay. How about you Ian? I've been reading uh, Homunculus by Yamamoto Hideo so it's a manga about trepanation and how this brought out your sixth sense. You probably need to explain what trepidation is, though, because I don't think most people know what it is. Trepidation is having a hole drilled in your skull. There are occasional medical reasons to do it. But in this case, it's for psychic powers. I quite enjoyed the premise, um, but I kind of got a bit annoyed about halfway through when they meet this uh, high school girl who they who um, our main character just sees as like a pile of sand, and she freaks out the guy who is paying him to get the hole drilled in his for psychic research purposes and he just kind of chickens out and runs away and that kind of left a bad taste in my mouth because then the manga kind of went downhill from there also it ends really badly because meets up with um the only woman who ever saw him as he ever truly was so she she clearly had this esp powers before and then it just gets all weird and like, I'm pretty sure he killed her. <laughs> yeah, I remember that being the ending as well. So, decent premise, like, some, some good art. Uh, the, the, like, weird monsters of the ESP-ness were pretty good. But, just pretty weird overall. Freya, uh, what's new for you? Well, I got sent many individual pages of... Watamote and Watamote Dojins. <laughs> so I read about six chipped uh, I read about six chapters of that roughly in the middle. <laughs> which were entertaining, if cursed. I think I that's not that's, that's not actually a lie, by the way. I think I read up to about chapter two hundred of Watamote, which is at least a hundred too many. I mean it gets infinitely better after uh the six chapters that I read, so <laughs> yeah, it's just that it gets very one note, um, and it's like you really want to feed. You really want to for uh, what's her name, Tomoki? I think that's right, Tomoko. Tomoko, uh, but she clearly isn't doing anything to help herself, and she's just sort of getting even like more of like a weird pervert. 
thing. Like, there's a reason that all the Dojins are her and her best friend from high school, mm-hmm. uh, from middle school. Uh, you've you've not read it in a while, then. Oh, they oh so so there there's a new ship. <laughs> uh, there's like four different. Uh, new ships because she's somehow built up a little harem for herself. Well, when I paid attention to what <laughs> <laughs> all the was, way back when years ago, Christ, it was those two. Okay, I, I think we've relaxed a little bit. So, Denny, why don't you tell us a little bit about YKK? Well, this adaptation is comprised of four OVA episodes divided into two distinct series. The first two episodes aired in 1998 under the title Yokohama Kaidashi Kiko, whereas the second two aired in 2003 with the subtitle Quiet Country Cafe. The series is based on a 14-volume manga that ran from 1994 until 2006 by Hitoshi Ashinano. If that sounds like a long time, it was in uh, Gekan Afternoon, so it's a, it was a monthly thing. The manga won the 2007 Seiyun Award for Best Science Fiction Manga, sharing the same honour with manga such as Pluto, Nausicaa, Parasite, or Full Metal Alchemist. The property has... Three drama CDs, one novel, an art book, and a postcard book. Something that I think used to be more common when people still sent postcards. Although I still think most people just collected them for the art, not to actually send them. Because why would you? I mean, I don't know. It's not really the same thing, but I have two art books, if we want to call them that. Uh, one of which I got from you, Freya, uh, which mm-hmm. are just manga covers. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so there's that as well. Yeah. The anime was made by Ajai Do Animation Works, a studio that's been around for over 40 years. Uh, It was founded in 1978, yet it hasn't really done all that much. In 42 years, they've made 16 shows, 11 movies, and 10 OVAs for a total of 37 works. In comparison, since the 2000s alone, Studio Bones has made 55 shows, not counting movies, games, or OVAs. And they have even less people employed, uh, 80 people versus 69 for Ajido. In the, ten- in the 2010s, Sunrise made 88 shows, Shaft 74. Like, it's kind of amazing they've been around for that long with how little they've made. Shows they've made include uh, Emma, Victorian Romance Season 2, but only Season 2, Kujibiki Unbalance, Izetta the Last Witch, and more recently Kikushi Goto. I think one of the reasons for this is because they've primarily provided key and in-between animation or done production cooperation rather than producing their own shows. Uh, Yeah, and that's all I've got, so we can move on to the summaries. Okay, so we're going to talk about the OVAs separately because this kind of makes more sense. Although I am 99% certain I will end up referring to them as episodes 1, 2, 3, and 4, even though it's two apiece. But... We'll, we'll 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 get through it. <laughs> mm. Okay, so before, but I guess before we say anything, this is a slice of life, and it's very much a healing anime. So plot is secondary, but nevertheless, there is some plot. So let's talk about it. So episode one, the opening will helpfully set us up with some context. Uh, Alpha is a robot. She's been entrusted with a cafe by its owner, and she's waiting for them to return focus character for the series. I, I wouldn't want to call her a protagonist. That doesn't sound right uh, in the context. For the first part of this episode, we follow a delivery robot called Kokone, who is trying to deliver to the cafe. The cafe is very remote and troublesome to get to. And 
it's been so long since Alpha has received a package that when she is given it, she doesn't immediately recognize her full name. But it appears to have came from the cafe's owner. So Alpha and Kakone have some coffee. Kakone gives her a camera and also a message that goes with it. And then when they're done, she drives Kokone back to the station on her moped. They have a little bit of a chat. Uh, Kokone explains to Alpha how to on the camera and gets her picture taken. Eventually, her ride shows up and Alpha heads home. Then there's a musical interlude for no apparent reason, but cool, I'm into it. So the second part of the episode, it's been a while since she's gotten the camera and Alpha is kind of expressing some regret that she hasn't really been using it. So she decides to rectify this. She takes a quick photo of her moped and then goes for a drive. She comes across a bunch of scenes that she thinks would be good to shoot. Some scenery, the petrol station Oji-san, the sunset at Enoshima Island. Uh, But she always sort of decides against it. And eventually she just returns home taking the one photo of her moped. Not a lot happened. (laughs) Nope. Episode two, she's she's left the house by a rake when she is struck by lightning. So you can already tell it's going to be more exciting. Petrol station Oji-san finds her on his way home, and he takes her to a small hospital that's run by a friend of his. The doctor reveals that Alpha was lucky that only really affected her outside, and she'd be able to leave in three days when she's had like her skin and her hair replaced. The next day, the coat, the first coat is done. The doctor reassures her that the skin will look much better once the next coat is done. But when she's alone, Alpha cries a little, and she doesn't really understand this. Um, she does cry, but it's mainly only to like lubricate her eyes rather than as an expression of emotion. And at the end of the three days, Oji-san and I think it's his grandson, Takahiro, come to pick her up, yes. and everyone laughs at her hair because it looks like a pineapple. Then we get the musical interlude, uh, which is her, her chilling, drinking coffee and waiting for customers that never show up. And then there's another camera section where she's just absentmindedly stroking the camera and she remembers about the first place her owner ever took her. She heads out. It takes her a while to get to there, but eventually she's on a lookout spot on a hill. She takes in the the scenery and then she meets the doctor. And they both just sort of stand there and uh, just look into the lake. As the sky darkens, um, a hidden flooded city is kind of revealed under the lake because the streetlights come on and illuminate and this is something that Alpha had never noticed before. Which you'd think you'd think she'd she'd have seen before because it's pretty damn unmissable. Well, well, I mean, she would have seen the the town. Like we we see this a lot. There's a lot of flooded cities, uh, but she hadn't seen the it all illuminated. So yeah, that's um, that's the first OVA. Very chill. <laughs> if we really narrow it down, events that happen are uh, she gets a camera. She gets struck by lightning. She goes to take some pictures, and she goes to um, take some pictures again. Yeah, four four events happen all in the entire hour that this OV that both of these episodes take. So, like, I guess I should really save this for later, but I'm going to say it now just because I think if people aren't used to this style of anime, they might be a little confused. So, this falls under the category of what is often called yashike or mm-hmm. healing type anime. It kind of came out about 1995 when like Japan was struck by a bunch of disasters and it emerged as like a way to like just enjoy yourself um, rather than like like Tokyo exploding again. <laughs> um, so like in these sorts of anime so healing type is a subgenre if you like of slice of life 
but it's particularly about luckily there's like a lot of lush scenery porn to go with it um i would say there's generally basically no conflict you, there, it, you shouldn't really be thinking while doing this thing it's I, I, I joked I had this mm. chill animator study too, and I do think that's kind of fair for a lot of, but maybe not all of uh, healing type stuff. You know, like Eurocam. The worst ones, yes. Hidamari Sketch or Aria. One of the other distinctions between Iyashike and other um, more generic slice of life would be a lesser emphasis on comedy. Because while there's still comedy present, it's it's much more toned down compared to more aggressive so some other slice of life where it's much more aggressive or in your face. Right. Mm-hmm. I would say these are anime that are meant to be experienced rather than watched, is kind of how I like to put it. People like to argue a lot about what counts as the Ashike though. I'm sure I could argue about it, but I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, yes. So I guess one thing I might ask, um, if it's not to uh, eighth grade book report of a question, but what are the themes <laughs> of this show? Because <laughs> I, I think I have an answer, or at least I think I have an answer to this, but I'd be interested to hear what you say before I do. I'd say that the themes of this anime really lie in a sense of nostalgia, a quiet afternoon when nothing really happens, to present that nothing really happens. It's all about taking in the moment and not really worrying about anything at all. Okay, that's that's one answer. <laughs> that sounds awful when I say it that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's one answer. That's definitely <laughs> wrong. But we're moving on. It's, it's not my answer, Freya. Do you do you want to add anything? Weirdly, I think it's a show in some sense about uh, uh, accepting death. So this is actually closer to what I think. The, what I think the uh, the answer is. Um, because if I were to sum this anime up in one word, I would just say Twilight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to say accepting the twilight years of your life, but that sounded too... I actually think I have a quote here from Anime Feminist, and I think it sums up the anime perfectly, and there is beauty in desolation. Yeah. Like, I agree, and I think that that's, very, that's something you definitely see at the end of the second um, episode with this underwater city. Um, When I was thinking about it, I was kind of, I kind of joked in my notes that it's kind of like found art. There's definitely an idea that nature is reclaiming things. We know something has happened. We don't know what has happened. Yes, the author author describes the manga as taking place after the festival-like world has settled down in a time called the era of the evening calm. How I think this fits in is like the, I guess you would say, I think that like, Humanity is slowly dying out, and we're just sort of like playing out and just be like, well, everything's going. But we're going, yeah, we're going peaceful. There's no no arguing, no screaming, no looting gangs of wasteland raiders that you might see in other apocalypses, no dystopian society. It's just people kind of living as they've always done, and eventually they'll die, and Alpha, the Probably a mortal robot will just be left on her own to wander the desolate ruins of leftover Yokohama. Except she won't. Manga spoilers. <laughs> this was actually why I really liked that this show is being told from the point of view of a robot. Because yeah. this is the thing, right? Is that, uh, let me see if I can uh, find my quote. Okay, so um, I have a quote from her owner in the sort of messages like 10 years or a single day may not make a difference to you right she's just gonna 
kind of live out um, while the people around her are growing old and dying. And one of the nice things is that even though she's a robot, one of the things she is that her memory isn't quite it's it's not eidetic. Um, mm-hmm. There is a, there is a sort of a degradation to it. So she so while she is living, she's also fading away at the same time. I'd actually say that in these first in these episodes and in most of the manga is all about her actually growing up in a way, because every single story is about her getting an impression of something new, mostly of something new. Like she meets a robot for the first time in ages. She learns about the camera. She gets to know about taking pictures. She experiences the town and the water for the first time. And then later on in episode four and the second OVA, she goes around and experience travels the country to experience new things. So she is growing in a way to essentially replace her parents, which are the remaining humans that are slowly fading away. Out with the old, in with the new. Yeah. So in the first episode follows uh, a few early chapters of the manga as in a set with Kokone arriving, who is another robot, and she's delivering said camera. One of the more interesting things about it is how robots convey messages in this world, namely by kissing each other. And the camera also is controlled with her mouth. Essentially, she puts a cable in her mouth and then she she can see through the lens of the camera, which is very fittingly, looks exactly like a human eye. Yeah. I don't think that this is is a coincidence. I think that the way the messages are being received uh, via this sort of mouth-to-mouth transfer is pretty much the exact same as the way the camera. And And the reason I think this is partly because of the message. Like, normally in this sort of a case, you would get, like, maybe, like, a flashback type thing, or, like, see what, or see your audience, what Alpha is experiencing, but it's not clear that she's seeing or hearing things. It It's almost like she's just feeling the message instead, and we see this a little bit in the manga yeah. later, where it's, like, it's, it's something you sort of feel, and I think this comes across in the fact that, although she doesn't take a lot of pictures, she does spend a lot of time just being in the moment with her with the camera in her mouth the camera just sort of experiencing that now to be all jerk off pretentious anime guy <laughs> <laughs> like this is where i have to use the term mono no awari here we go here we go <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have to talk about it at some point yeah, yeah I'm, I'm i'm going to not ro- give you a verbal essay although i certainly could you can google like a bunch of like different <laughs> explanations of it but the rough translation is something along the lines of the sadness of things or the impermanence and it's a fleeting sense of sadness but it's different from um depression or angst or those sorts of sadnesses it's more of coming from an awareness of how things are changing that like existence is fragile and fleeting and the just sort of like like the bittersweet nature of like cherry blossoms fall because you got to mention yeah. cherry blossoms <laughs> uh because it's like yes this is a great moment but it's a great moment that will only last for a moment and then it will move on and I'm gonna um the re and the reason I really think this is because I think that shows like this or like Aria or like Haibani Renme that try to evoke this sort of feeling, you need to be very careful with how you play with time 
in your yeah. shows. You have to be extremely aware of it, and it should feel like it is passing. Time shouldn't pass because you said, and now it is time for the uh, school festival. <laughs> <laughs> you need to feel it as you're watching the show. I'll have a lot to say about this uh, when we move on to the animation uh, yes. talk of the of this show. Yeah, I, I think I think one of the best ways that this kind of feeling gets shown in the anime, at least for me, is not actually something that shows up in the anime, but in the manga chapters where essentially she's driving past a um, a cliffside road, and I think she's driving with either the doctor or old Professor Oak, as I would like to call the gas station uh, old man. He's just a weird old Professor Oak. And part of the cliffs, he he remembers when this was a proper road, and now it's only like a cliffside. And that's another thing in the manga, several, we don't get to see it here, but we get to see him and the doctor several times in their youth, really kind of comparing the moments they had to the now. Never with any sort of, of anger or uh, regrets, but more of a kind of a fond nostalgia towards it, like, like the warm orange of the evening sky that this anime uses quite a lot, I think somehow is the right color to describe it. I would say there is a slight dis- di- difference between these two episodes. The first episode like, is really focused on this camera. It's really, the whole show is really only about uh, Alpha, but it's very tightly focused on her feelings. I, I want to say some, I'm, I'm, I'm so, something like this, right? Whereas in the second one, I really feel like they showcase more of how she relates to other people. We see that she uh, wants to like protect her image from uh, Takahiro and and not let him see her uh, the way she is. Um, there's also a lot more comedy I find in the second episode, and I think that's actually even true of the second OVA. But we'll get there when we get. Were you talking about just the anime, or are you also including the manga? With when you say this, focus on Alpha, um, anime. Because uh, the thing you're trying to say, Denny, is that in the manga we see a lot more of her, how she, of how related she is to the community around her. There's a lot more people around her. Yeah, yeah. We also get a whole bunch of chapters just focusing on Kokone alone and her relationship with the people around her and her relationship to Alpha. Yeah, there's like Ta- Takahiro and the Misago and mm. all that sort of stuff. Um. But yeah, I, I definitely feel that they definitely make her even more isolated in this. Yeah. Yeah, because we I think you noticed when we were watching it is that she didn't have a single customer during the entire four episodes. Whereas in the manga, she, while she doesn't have very many customers, she does have regular customers that occasionally come by. And another thing I did find odd just before we, before you move on is the emphasis on the gun. Because at several points during this first episode, we see her um, holding her gun, which is used for self-defense. And it's certainly a thing that exists in the manga, but it just feels like an odd thing to focus on during multiple shots in this first episode. Especially when it's like, especially if it comes up so few times during the entire manga, it comes up maybe once or twice. She li- she lives in a very safe world. Like she's she's the kind of person who is she has a gun strapped to her back, but also her back door is open. Like as, since this is an early chapter, maybe this is a leftover when originally this was supposed to be a more dangerous world. Maybe so that's why she needed a gun for self defense. But then that just 
didn't the author just didn't choose to not include that at all? Maybe to tie it back to what you were saying about growing up. This is her being nervous about uh, things, and she gets over it. Mm, maybe. All right, so we need to talk about some. We need to talk about some animation. Yeah, very pretty. <laughs> I mean, this this is the nineties, right? So everything is hand drawn and so detailed as a result. But yeah, when the thing that I want, I focused on almost the entire time wasn't what was shown per se, but the way the show was edited. Like the pacing is. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I want. I don't want to say glacial, but it's considered. <laughs> um, uh, the, all the camera movements are basically non-existent. <laughs> that was a weird way to phrase it. The camera is static almost the entire time. There's some pans. There's some fades. There's one uh, interesting, like semi-dynamic zoom. The time it really fails, though, is when they're like both on the moped and then they're trying to do the yeah. like, we'll do the camera steady with the background moving under. And it's just like, no, yeah, this yeah. is this is why we have CG <laughs> these days. Maybe the, the worst thing about these OVAs is how they handle vehicles. Yeah. Which is <laughs> a really niggling point. So there you go. Yeah, the, the vehicles are pretty ugly, but like the, the, the mopeds are better than the the like the the vans and stuff that we see yeah. but i get i think that's just because we see a lot more so they had to practice it more like i remember reading that the author is a really big fan of uh, mopeds gee what a surprise I, I i think one of the strongest thing about its animation is just how warm every single color is there's never a sense of coldness that gets across especially uh in the sky boxes as we see the natural progression from early morning to late afternoon to dusk and then uh night itself like once we get towards evening it has this it goes from light pink to orange to darkness but it always remains warm and comfortable to some degree at least so i'm gonna i might be stealing ian sundra here i apologize um to go back to the earlier discussion point about the passing of time one good way they do it is um is having the ambient light change just in the middle of the same scene, but then the character and the rest of the environment remains mostly static. Uh, so they do this in the second uh, episode when she's got a coffee on the table, and they cut from it being late afternoon to it being evening. And the sky's all blue, mm. and she's not late. When we see her, it's clearly it's it's like she never finished her coffee, <laughs> like because she it's like she gets up, she sits there. And then it's like bedtime by the like the the end of it. And there's a bit of an odd thing in the episode because we essentially after the whole lightning strike arc, then we have a whole ten minutes where she gets up, she gets dressed, she makes coffee, she sits there, and uh, she goes to bed. And then we have the musical interlude, which is the next ten minutes of the anime. But it's it's really good sequence. Like that is, I, I think, the most kind of the definition of the anime of absolutely nothing happening because it's just 10 minutes of nothing happening, but it still looks gorgeous. And there's a lot of focus put on the the wind blowing the grass at that outside. All right, I'm going to make this comparison now and get it out of the way. These first OVAs really reminded me of a Tarkovsky film. Nice. <laughs> just, just the focus on characters being static in an environment while the wind's blowing stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a scene from Mirror that's probably the most obvious example of that. 
the important thing here is your shot selection. Pull the camera yes. right back. Put her only yeah. in like a third of the screen. Like let you see like t- two thirds of her body yeah. and just get a, a lot of the background. If you really want to show time passing, I really feel that showing as much of the background as possible is the best way to do it. Although they, they do some che- they do some like cheaper things like uh, when they do like with the water spraying and then the water <laughs> just like disappears in like a few frame cuts. I'm not I don't know what the term I'm looking for is. Actually, um, what they do with water is quite weird in this show um, because they do this really nice thing where they like because they're like we'll look at the lake that has the buildings under it. You're looking at water, but you don't see water. You only see the sky and then the boundary yeah. where you see the, the the buildings underneath the water. Yeah, I was I was very happy. <laughs> yes, as somebody who loves this kind of cinematography, I was also very happy. It's also fairly unique in anime, I think. Even among this genre, like, I think the second OVA, or episodes three and four, if you want, is more like um, other entries, I suppose. Whereas this one I found had its own fairly unique feeling. All right, so now that we're talking about cinematography and shot choice and stuff, uh, our director for OVA one, or episodes one and two, is uh, Takashi Anno, who I couldn't find much about, which I think is a shame, because there's really good stuff in this. Uh, Just quickly, some stuff he's worked on. uh, A bunch of old children's stuff. The most recent thing he's worked on is (laughs) Kami Chama Karen. The most famous thing, though, I'd say, is he directed... He was chief director for episodes... I wrote 27 to 25, but that's obviously wrong. Uh, 17 to 25 of uh, Meison Koku. So yeah, I'm kind of sad that this guy seems to have mostly been lost to the annals of history, but whatever, it happens. He's also not the only one who made this. Uh, in particular, I want to say there was... the Some of the character animation in this was uh, much more detailed than I was expecting, specifically in the uh, scene in the first episode where Kokone is showing her stuff uh, to do with the camera at the bus stop. Like, there was a lot of attention paid to the way they moved in that. Mm-hmm. It was good. Can I just say something before we move on while I remember it? Yeah, sure. So, because Takashi Anno uh, storyboarded these, I think he's mostly responsible for how they were structured, and I want to say on the structure point, putting the... Uh, scene where they're on the hill looking at the city under the water at the end of episode two is a really good choice because the whole scene is like, here we get into some stupid, pretentious bullshit. Um, water is quite often used as like a um, a boundary point in uh, in fiction or symbology, I guess, like between one world and another. So I really like it as like a uh, thing of they're in the current world, they're looking through the water back at the old world uh, of the city with all its lights on. Uh, just reflecting on all that, and it's a really good choice to put that at the end of episode two after you've just had the whole anime about accepting Twilight years or whatever, and to end it with looking back at the old world, I think, is a really good choice. Mm-hmm. I agree, especially since we also introduced the character of the Doctor. Uh, I wonder if specifically the lightning bit, the lightning part of the episode was chosen to both introduce us to Takahiro and the Doctor, just so we can end on this note of the Underwater City, because it is one of the, I'd say, probably defining chapters of the manga that really get its theme and mood across. 
I also want to say just randomly that the the surgery room where she's repairing um, Alpha looks like a David Lynch set. <laughs> okay. No, no similarity cinematography wise. It just looks like that to me. Okay. Uh, like maybe you're are you talking about like all the like robot stuff and the fact that they're printing robot skin? <laughs> yes. Yes. In the manga, they they do explain like how like she was like an engineer before becoming a doctor. So there is some reason why yeah. she would have all this robot stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's cool. I don't, I don't care about where it came from. Uh, <laughs> this is a world where the city is lighting itself underwater somehow, and it works perfectly for the thieves. And it really doesn't matter. Yeah, they they also explain at some point they have Alpha say in the manga that she is still paying electricity and water bills, but she has no idea where the money is going to. It just sends it off to some place, and uh, she gets electricity and water. I was going to mention this much later on, like the fact that no one ever seemed to use money. Mm. Oh, man, the, the structure has really gone to shit in this discussion, but we're having fun. I'm so sorry. I, I just assume we've gone back to a barter economy or people just take care of each other because uh, like, at some point the old man also just gives her a bunch of watermelons. Yeah, yeah this, this is what I thought, but then, but now you've mentioned that she's paying bills and my, my, my illusions are shattered. <laughs> yeah. But, but since you mentioned the, the, uh, the surgery room, here's an interesting choice. They use the exact same editing for the surgery as they use for the rest of the show, which means yes. it's very chill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is not how we are used to like surgeries. Like normally it's like trauma center, like let's reel through the things and like head first, bat- doors banging, stat. And this is just like, no, we're just going to like see her casually peeling skin off. Yeah, it's good. I, I really like that they took that approach. Alpha getting struck by lightning is probably the most exciting quotation mark incident in the entire first two thirds of the manga until we get to the storm that we'll discuss in the second two episodes. God, we need to move on. Let's talk about music. <laughs> well, then we should probably start with the musical interludes, which are very, very odd. Why do we start with that and not like the, the general direction choices they did with music? So the first thing that you really I, that really notice is how little music there is in this show. There's mm. an opening, there's an ending, there's these musical ends, and there's some di- diegetic sound from the radio. That's about it for this OVA. No non-diegetic music, which is a really good choice. Uh, it really grounds you in it. Like all, mostly we just have the sounds of the ocean rushing and some cicadas chirping, rustling leaves and wind. That's another thing. A lot of focus is put on having, um, well, realistic sounds, and in particular sounds of the natural world, but also the moped. Mm-hmm. And just and the like lingering shots you have, just sort of breathing all that in through the atmosphere. It's really good. Shout out to Aya Mizuguchi, the sound director for this, whose only other credit is uh, something called Sentimental Journey. And now I'm sad because she didn't work on anything else. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about the openings or endings. Uh, the opening is just is just some nice chill like city pop stuff. It's Cafe Alpha by Gomtiti, who are a world music guitar duo. Uh, the weird name, it comes from their names. Well, their nicknames, <laughs> Gonzalez and Titi. They're important because they did the music for uh, also for Amanchu and... This is interesting because the people who did the music for the second OVA did the uh, music for Kazuo Yamano's most famous work. She also wrote Amanchu, but Aria, and that's Choro Club, they did the music for that. 
Gruntiti also did the entire like score of this anime beyond the opening. I I I I would, say I would be rude to call them slideshow openings and endings because they're just because they fit in so well with the rest of the anime. It it it, yes. it, it doesn't really like jar. It's just shots of Alpha driving around with some narration. The the, yeah. the narration is the interesting part because I feel like this uh, it, it's a the, this is a non traditional opening in the same way that Aria has a non traditional opening, in which in yes. in Aria they're just being gondoliers while the music plays. In this, she's just driving while we get a little bit of narration about who she is and what happened to the world. It's just a little bit of context. They're incorporating some early manga panels, right? Mm, like mm. the one where she finds the bridge or road that's been flooded. Yes, yes. It's in there. Another interesting choice is I think this is uh, the only time we actually see the titular Yokohama. We have one one shot or so of her in the city where we actually see there's a whole bunch of people around. I definitely think it was the right choice for this anime to eliminate all the scenes and chapters that took place within the city just to focus on the isolation and the quiet. But it is nice yeah. to acknowledge that it is still a fun- there is still a fully functioning society present and working um, somewhere beyond the boundaries of the grassy hills where her cafe is located. We also see the Tower of Orthanc. Uh, okay. okay, okay, okay. So I actually looked into all of these Kanagawa stuff. Uh, that is the Yokohama Landmark Tower, although it does look a hell of a lot like Orthanc. <laughs> is in- important because it would have been the tallest building in Japan at the time. Hmm. There you go. I have looked a way into I've looked way too much into Kanagawa for this. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, what about the musical interlude, Denny? Since you were rushing ahead to talk about it. <laughs> it's just so odd. Like it's not bad or anything, but it's it's odd in its placement, it's odd in its content, and it's odd in its length. So at about 18 minutes into the into this 30 minute episode we all of a sudden have a 1 minute musical interlude that's w- ocean waves coming towards you and black and white real pictures overlaid on top of it uh flashing occasionally and one piece of uh... conceptual art like a few pieces of conceptual yes. art as well that are just adaptations of um drawings from the manga if not just straight up panels from it i i didn't check this although i really should have but i think that the singer is hikaru shina who is the voice actor for Mm. alpha i would like to posit that because ian's very helpfully broken down which chapters are in which episode um they serve as breaks between the different chapters i mean the different little arcs so the coconut camera arc is all one a bunch of chapters in a row, and then it you have the musical interlude, and then they adapt uh, the perfect shot arc, which is five chapters later. That would almost make sense, except in episode two, there's not a musical interlude between the lightning storm arc and the she does nothing for a day and just sits in her cafe arc. But there is a musical interlude between the after those two and between uh, the she goes to see the city arc. The thing I, 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 I'm not entirely sure of is I don't think that's a manga chapter in the way that the rest of them is. Because fe- I couldn't think of anything specifically that it would refer to. So it's just kind of nice. <laughs> so I would, I would consider that and the musical interlude one big interlude for the purposes of continuing this pattern. Fair enough. Okay, I can, I could, I can accept that. 
in terms of how they are, uh, I prefer the first one just because it makes more interesting choices. I barely remember the second one, to be honest. Well, the second one is also just water with various flashes of the character of Alpha in different positions in outfits. Yeah, but it's just it's just the normal art, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's nothing special there. So yeah. I liked it. <laughs> if it was just this, I think I'd give this show a five out of five. Yes, likewise. Okay, actually, you know what? I have to say this. One of the best things about uh, a, a slice of life that's a, like a really good one is that they can just sort of pick and choose bits like from all over the place. While, and, they ju- and, they, and they just do that. They're like, eh, let's not bother with chapter one. Chapter one sucks. Let's just move on to this chapter. It's more, it's better. <laughs> and then they just, they switch them around and stuff. And they really play a lot with it a lot more in the second OVA. But it's just, it's just like, they they wanted to have a specific aesthetic and thematic focus, so they chose chapters that were appropriate. They also got in the stuff that people want to see, like Kokonei in the in the opening. But you know, I think with that we can move on to the second OVA, which I think it's not a spoiler to say we were all less happy about. Which is not to say it's bad. No, this um this OVA, I think it's fair to say that this one is going to be a little bit more comic and to expect a little bit more familiarity with the manga. I think you could just give the first OVA to people who know nothing about it. I don't yeah. think you can quite do that with the second one to the same extent. You could probably give it to somebody who's watched the first one like we did. Yeah. yeah. So episode one, this starts out with Alpha and Kokone on a moped drive through some countryside. They take in some nature. They stop on a hill overlooking a lake, and Alpha takes a nap there. This is really just the appetizer for the main part of the episode, uh, as far as I'm concerned. This is the tragedy arc. (laughs) Uh, It's a day that's pretty much any other normal day. Alpha's chilling without any customers. She takes a few photos. She notices that her cafe is really run down, which must have eluded her all this time. But um, later on, we have the clouds start to darken, the wind picks up, and a bulletin on the radio informs us that there's a typhoon on the way, which makes this the second anime in a row that's had a typhoon as a major <laughs> Oji-san shows up in the evening, and he, she suggests that she follow him to his petrol station, and she'll be safer there. And she goes with him, uh, and he literally boards the shop up with her in it, uh, which was hilarious, because you're like, Where's he going? He's going back home. I'm going to my house. I don't know why I sound like this. Why didn't he just take her to the house with him? <laughs> it really bothers me. I can't, I can't have a robot in my house. I like you, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's only when my family's not here with me. Okay, let, let, let me get through this and then we can make fun of it. So she rides out the storm there. She sometimes watches the, the storm from the thin windows near the roof. Other times she just naps listens to the radio a little bit. She worries a little bit because she doesn't think her shop is going to like take it very well because she hasn't boarded up or anything. And when the weather finally settles, she just manages to force the door open and heads home. We don't actually get to see the full extent of the damage until the evening when Oji-san arrives to see her playing her moon guitar. And we see that the cafe has been destroyed and that the house part isn't in great shape either. Um, an indeterminate time later, and maybe a week later, it's not very clear. The cafe is reopened outdoors with some parasols for shade. 
And Alpha reminisces a bit with the Oji-san, but she decides that this is a good time for her to travel. And the episode ends with her saying goodbye to Takahiro, and she entrusts her scooter to him. Episode two is about her journey. Um, it covers like a fair few chapters in the manga, but we see her just traveling through various parts of Kanagawa. She's on a bow, on a rope bridge. Uh, some nice old lady gives her a ridiculously large persimmon, but it's mostly just walking and narration for a while. Uh, eventually she comes to an inn by the lake and she spends the night there. Uh, meanwhile, Kotane has arrived at the cafe to see Alpha and is sad that she's not there. But since it's already dark, Oji-san lets her, uh, lends her the keys to the home so she can stay the night. And this is her Goldilocks moment. She's like reading notes she shouldn't be reading and sleeping in Alpha's bed, smelling her pillow. You know, all that gay shit. So when we pick up with the uh, Alpha again, she's lost, and she decides to climb up a telephone pole to get her bearings. She walks a little bit further, she eventually comes to an airfield and asks for directions, but she decides to hang around uh, for a while so she can meet a pilot, because the pilot is going to be a male robot. Uh, that conversation goes quite awkwardly. Uh, she's kind of interested in him, male robots seem to be rare. He is the only male robot we meet in the entire manga. We meet several other female robots. We get a few back-at-home scenes, nothing fancy. Takihiro and Maki are on a moped ride. They stop at the sea to chat about the Misago and their plans for the future. Kokone decides to write Alpha a letter. Um, and the end uh, ends with Alpha running a roast corn stand in the mountain. <laughs> Where she got the corn or her van or all the rest of it, we don't get to learn. But a man stops her one. They make some pleasantries, talk about Mount Fuji uh, before he drives off. And while she's like, packs away her stall and eats some corn and looking out, she gets a vision of her weather vane back. And uh, this is what makes her decide to return uh, back to the cafe. It's an odd two episodes. Like, the traveling arc is certainly one of the biggest arcs in the manga. And I can completely understand why it was chosen for to be adapted, because... Since part of the manga, as I've said earlier, is all about Alpha experiencing new things, allowing you to travel across Kanagawa and see various other places, see Mount Fuji, see, meet, see the airport, allowing you to have new experiences, it makes sense you chose to adapt that. However, ending it where they did with her simply sitting at, staring at Mount Fuji rather than having her actually return home feels like a very odd choice to end the episode on. Uh, at least to me, it definitely feels like she should have returned home to make this a more complete narrative since, well, in the first ep first OVA, it was a bunch of smaller stories that were mostly connected by characters. Here, through the storm, it becomes a little bit of a larger story. The story is, we have the event of, of the storm happens, Alpha sets out, and then we end the story with Alpha deciding to return home rather than returning home. I think the correct thing to do was take the scenes with Maki and Takahiro and the Kokone writing the letter, cut that, have her decide to go home, roll credits, and then post-credits have her walking back into the, the yes. area. And, and thingies there waiting for her or something. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. Like, I understand why they included um, at least the Misago, because that is like... But with uh, Maki and Takahiro... We see so little of Takahiro. Like he's a very prominent character in the in the manga, but there's so little of him in the show that they really just could have cut him. 
in its entirety and we wouldn't have lost much. It feels like they've made some choices based on what, what people wanted to see, which, you know, always works out well <laughs> yes. in, 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 in media. I think that the reason I especially think they could have done this is that it's only a few chapters after this Mount Fuji scene in the manga that she is actually returning anyway. I was overall quite happy with the the first slash third episode. I think it was in many ways like quite an important arc to show. Yes. Also, I guess we should just say this is like in the manga, like these episodes, the the chapters that this one is based on is like thirty episodes after the ones that we were seeing. But I do I I do like this uh, as an episode because like I mean I've already said my piece about the imperative thing, and here we have the thing that's sort of anchoring her existence just going away and her just accepting it. I did find some of her uh, reactions a little curious, I have to say. I mean, they all they, they kind of comment on it to each other uh, at the end, but she seems to be like reluctant to leave during the typhoon and she didn't really prepare for it. So is it her first? But that doesn't seem right to me because uh, later on, like they like they say that Takahiro took the the typhoon pretty hard, his first time seeing scenery. He grew up being destroyed, and which sort of implies that it isn't. And I know that o- the the Oji-san thought that she was being quite stoic and uh, brave about it, whereas she said she was feeling very anxious about it. I think I agree with you, just in terms of um, this being an important arc to adapt, but. There's just so many other small choices within the story that just make this feel like a lesser show. That, as Freya said, it's all the things they had in there just because they thought they needed it. Like, at several points during the show, we get uh, shots of a pl- of um, a plane flying, like a really weird kind of sci-fi plane that fans of the manga would recognize as the plane where the director Alpha is, like, that and it's circle. It's like a solar sail or something. It's circling the planet. I think this is particularly true also of when she's at the airfield and she's very excited about planes. She, unless she was just very into airplanes, which we have no. Reason the author to- was very much into airplanes, very much, and Alpha is also really into flying. Right, but she only gets into flying like uh, when she's introduced to it by the doctor during the manga whereas mm. here we don't know about this so she's all very excited and like i mean maybe she just has never seen a plane up close before and she's excited <laughs> about it. but it definitely is like a here's one for the fans i mean the scene the scene where she goes home to find a destroyed cafe is just a, a fantastic scene well specifically how uh it's from oji-san's perspective and then you have the camera panning around her while she's playing her yeah moon guitar and then and then it uh, pans out to show her destroyed cafe but once again there's no like anger or excessive sadness it's one we just have more quiet acceptance more gentle melancholy yes then we just move on to a week after where oji san is visiting alpha in the quotation marks reopen cafe where it's just a counter and a, a table outside <laughs> and they just talk about uh talk about the events that there's no this is not an, a show for large grand sweeping emotions that so many other shows are about no it's for slow quiet emotions instead episode four on the other hand i liked a lot less than the first three episodes not necessarily because it was bad in any way shape or form but just because this is the alpha traveling bit and 
we spend like a good 10 minutes or so on Kokone coming to visit Alpha. And then, as I already said, I really wasn't fan of the ending. And then we have the whole Takahiro Misago arc bit five minutes in there. We have we spent more time with Kokone and Oji-san. Out of this 30 minutes, we have a good almost 18 minutes that aren't Alpha traveling. I think it's I think it's less than that, like maybe closer to 10 minutes because it's like 30 minutes. It's like a 30 minute. Yeah. I don't mind the first one way arriving and being disappointed that Alpha's not there. Yes. It was okay, but I definitely feel that if we just had a traveling episode, we would have just enjoyed it so much more. Mm. Uh-huh. Not that we didn't enjoy it, but like just so much more. <laughs> I, did, I mean, it's really good tag here and uh, Mackie stuff that feels just, just like it, was, it was thrown in there. And then we also have Kokona writing a letter and we have the shop owner who's in love with her. Didn't need that. Yeah. I'll be honest, I did kind of enjoy her being a stupid lesbian in the room, but that's because, you know. I was very proud of myself when I was like, oh, she's Goldilocks. That was, that was, <laughs> it, was like the, it was like the second time I watched it that I got that feeling. And it made, and it made me yeah. like, because I could just imagine, like we only saw like a few minutes of it, but I could just imagine it playing out for an entire evening in my I, we've already kind of said this, but there is a lot more focus on, uh, well, maybe not a lot, but there is more focus on comedy in these OVAs than the first one, mm-hmm. which is why it feels closer to Aria than me. Wait, no, I said that wrong. It's why it uh, feels a bit closer to Aria to me than the first one did. It's also not as good. I kind, I kind of get where you're coming from because, like, it's all the stupid stuff is just the Arya Shadow bits. I, and it comes across in, like, a lot of places. There's, like, a minute where she's just trying to adjust the dial on her radio, and instead of going around the, the table to do it, she climbs on the chair and leans over and is stretching. So that was a very nice bit of animation. It was. Or, like, Oji-san's hair and eyebrows are just magnificent in episode three. Uh, <laughs> Okay. Before we talk about animation, there is one thing I want to talk about, which is her gekin, the moon guitar. Mm-hmm. First of all, cool instrument. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting to me because she she definitely treasures it because when she she's told by Oji-san to take her valuables and go to um, his shop, there's only her radio, this 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 instrument, and a small bag of who knows what we don't get to see. Which indicates like how important it is to her because it belongs to the owner. But I found it interesting that she didn't take it with her on the journey. I, I thought if there was anything she was going to take, like she might take that and just wander around with it, being like a troubadour. <laughs> I can understand why she wouldn't, though, because she has no idea what this journey is going to be like. Like it might be difficult. It might be probably to keep it safe. She kept it at home. She is willing to leave her moped as well. Which she is also tremendously fond of. Uh, interesting side note: the the Gekin is yet another in the line of East Asian instruments that is called some uh, that has an equivalent in most of the countries. There, in China, you'd call it a a yuekin, and something a, a wolgum in uh, in uh, Korea. Apologies for the pronunciations. Much like how the koto originated from from the uh, guzheng in uh, China. Then the the one last thing I want to say about the Gekin is that the fact that she's playing it, they it has like a shamisen uh, timbre to it, which just yeah. 
has like just strikes a really good melancholy when she's uh, playing in the ruins of her house. And I, I'm really not a shamisen guy. <laughs> yes. But I was like, this is good sound choice. Do you want to talk about music then instead of animation? Well, we, uh, because of we've uh, given ourselves a natural transition by accident. Yeah. Uh, let's do that. Yeah, um, a much greater use of music overall. We also got rid of the musical interludes. So if you've watched Aria, most of this music will be very familiar to you. What kind of group would you describe Choro Club as? I mean, is Choro a kind of music? I don't know. Like, they're, they're so. in, like an acoustic, jazzy trio thing. Because <laughs> hmm. they have a mandolin player and a guitarist. And a yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's nice and pleasant. Um, it doesn't quite reach the heights because they, they, they experiment a bit more in Aria and have some more like uh, interesting sounding stuff. Not that the normal stuff is bad. I didn't realize um, that they had done the theme arrangement for one of the openings in Aria. They're very accomplished players of their respective instruments. On Because you mentioned uh, them doing the one of the openings or endings, interestingly, also on music, we have, calling back to Get Back, as we have uh, Taku Iwasaki again, uh, who we talked about for way too long in that episode, who... Uh, composed the ending theme and also uh, arranged a bunch of the more orchestral music that's in this. So there you go. Yeah. So, like as we were saying, Churro Club did the uh, main, the Cafe Alpha main theme at the opening. Um, there isn't a whole lot to say about it because they did the same sort of thing again, where they just sort of played the nice chill theme, and she's riding her uh, moped with Kokoro in the first one. Uh, and walking in the second. Did you just call it Kokoro? I did. uh, (laughs) Kokone no basket. (laughs) I have a bit more to say about the ending, though, uh, by comparison. Mm. The ending is... I I had um, Tokimeki Memorial flashbacks when we saw her um, her on the black background. Uh, The song is called uh, Fua Fu by Hekiro Shina. Uh, who, as I already mentioned, did the uh, the voice acting for Alpha. This it's not too uncommon for her to do theme performances for anime she's in. Like she's did it for a few things. Like she did it for uh, Idol Defense Force Hummingbird and Yat Anshin. I think she did one of the Vanguard openings, and uh, she does have sixteen albums. So pretty impressive. So she's like an okay singer. It's nice um, because while they've went for kind of like this sort of slideshow ending, the conceit is that she's doing it through the camera where she's put the thing in her mouth. And quite endearingly, she has her back to us the entire time. (laughs) And it just recaps the episodes, but it was just that little touch of like the fact that it's sort of what she's experiencing that like made, made it better than nothing <laughs> yeah, just looking back on all the pictures she's taken <laughs> yeah we've talked about the music let's go back and talk about the animation change so i guess i'll start off by saying that these two ovas have come have one staff member in common that's the animation director masayuki second a otherwise completely different uh, except for the voice cast i guess so our director for this is actually more famous than uh, Takashiano, believe it or not. Uh, Tomomi Mochizuki. The work of his that most people would recognize is Ocean Waves from Studio Ghibli. 
AKA the the TV film they made to like to like give their um, less experienced members more creative control, uh, which is interesting because I don't think he uh, worked at Ghibli before then. He also apparently really burnt himself out working on that film. So there you go. In terms of other stuff, uh, he did a bunch of stuff on Kimiguri, Orange Road, and uh, Dirty Pear, uh, in which he used to make kind of interesting quirky choices uh but recently he's solidly had the odd few things through the years in the past 10 years he's done two different things for the Neutamina uh block that's the quote-unquote prestige block on i don't remember which channel it is uh house of five leaves which we're definitely going to watch at some point and uh battery uh which wasn't great he's also tends to take on like multiple different staff ro- uh, roles for them. So re- uh, so for both of those, he was also the series composer and a few other important roles. So there you go. Somebody who likes to can take control of everything. <laughs> the like sort of cinematographical choices are uh, a bit more <laughs> ambitious, should we say. It, it moved away from the static camera. Yeah, specifically yeah. the shot of Alpha playing her uh, moon guitar. And where we have this through like an almost 360 shot going around her face from her side to her front. It actually worked. Yeah, yeah, it looked quite nice. Yeah, it also like worked really well when they did uh, movie scenes, which was nice because that was one of the things we pointed out as being very bad. Uh, they introduced a lot more stuff, not just like have all the pans and fades that they had already, but they also introduced like focus changes. I mean, we should probably just talk about the biggest difference between these two shows, namely that the one was made by hand and the other one was made digitally yeah the, like this is why they were able to do many of these changes is that like we went we've we've crossed the millennium mark <laughs> you know can i just say it's a little annoying when you say it's by hand i know what you mean but it's not like they weren't yes yes putting a lot of work into this classical cell animation versus digital animation sure that's better yeah <laughs> <laughs> because like 1998 is like the tail end of that era of anime. Yes. I think I read I remember reading somewhere that this might actually have been one of the last things to have been drawn with cell animation. Yeah, but that's like impossible to tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and so but we're but like it's progressed enough that like we're comfortable with the new technique and to a certain extent. But I'm not gonna say we lost something. Things changed. <laughs> yes. One unfortunate uh, side effect of this is there's basically no way to upscale uh, these early digital shows from like 2001 to 2006 or so in a way that looks good for complicated reasons that I won't go into. Maybe I'll drop a link as to why. Whereas if they wanted to, they could go and find the original cells from the uh, 98 OVA and uh, rescan them to get a nice, pretty modern version. But, you know. Yeah. Though I feel like um, that would take something away from the vibe of the original. Yeah, probably. So this is one of those things that like, some people might say, which is that like, this is one of the cases where I actually prefer getting a VHS to a DVD. Because it, because, like, it just roughens it up a little bit. But in a good, yes. but in a good way, right? Because like, there, there have been a lot of animation changes. Like, I don't think we can say that like, we've got watercolor backgrounds. It's not that the backgrounds are bad, but like they've definitely, I like, I feel like there were definitely like watercolory things in the first one, whereas not in this one. These ones are uh, kind of similar to Windy Tales, and that they're right, it's like semi crayony. 
this is kind of ties back to like this OVA is more focused on like the exploratory nature of the manga than the first one is. Yeah. Which I also feel like we see through the colors because there's a distinct lack of that warm orange color I talked about during the first OVA. There's only a single scene during both episodes, I think, that's set during Twilight. Everything yeah. else is set either during night or during the day. Yeah, I wasn't sure how to phrase it in the in my notes, but that's kind of, that's what I said, right? Is it's it's everything's more vivid and less twilight. The bright yeah. the, the the brights are brighter, the darks are darker. Um, <laughs> we're we're not at like modern CG levels of like, well, not pre pre current CG when it's like let's just click fill to fill it with a color. Like it still looks really good. There's kind of a lot of rain and stuff. There are some cases where, like, the stuff they've drawn is just fantastic. Like, when they have the picture book she's reading in the third. That's good. Like, ugh, be still by being her. (laughs) One of the changes I noticed is how they did the the steam that coming from the coffee between OVA 1 and OVA 2. Because they used a very different method, where one, it was very vapor-like, whereas the others, it was solid white-like clouds. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. And also the character designs have become slightly different, though it's really hard to tell unless you have a side-by-side comparison up. I think that th- I think that this is where, um, like, we've kind of moved on from. Like, I don't want to say we've moved on from the passing of things because the passing of things was the third episode. Like, it's unfair. To, it's like, but as you mentioned with the fourth episode, it's definitely got a very different feel. There's like appreciation of like things but it's like more tempered with a wonder like this was what i was trying to think of when i was like when i l- was listing out all my comparisons with aria it was just like yeah i was thinking like this show is about things fading out and being content whereas aria is more like yachts it's about wonder and i definitely feel that like that's definitely true of like the first three um although they did manage to stick with some of the uh things that they, they the decisions like there's hard people that we meet um, in fact, when she stays at the inn, we never see the owner. That's also true in the manga, but it is mentioned in the manga. Whereas they're just not there at all. She could have broken into someone's house for. <laughs> I mean, presumably there's hundreds and hundreds of ruins everywhere where people where you can just sleep for a night. I also kind of joke that like that is what would have been her onsen episode. <laughs> she's wearing all the traditional clothing. She's in her bath, and it's 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 really nice, but. Uh, it's also if any if any of the four episodes should have focused on a gun being present, this probably should have been it because she's literally traveling the wild. Uh-huh. That's fine. Uh, but she didn't. She also didn't bring her gun with her. But at the same time, people are just nice, right? Like, yeah. like an old lady just gives her a giant persimmon for a reason. Like, I feel th- like, and I think that's kind of the point is that we're at the stage in the world where like. Fuck it. Let's just be nice to one another. In the entire manga, there isn't a single character that could be described as like bad or even confrontational. Yeah. This is also mostly true of Arya. I mean, Akatsuki-san is confrontational, but he's very much a... T- <laughs> um, there's some confrontational stuff in the later bits where they're all quote-unquote graduating. But even even with all our criticisms, these are still two very good episodes. Like the scene where she's talking with the pilot is like like that was a great scene yeah uh just talking about the nature of robots and uh just himself uh speaking of robots let's talk about our characters which really means let's talk about alpha and coconut and i guess the old man 
Yeah, okay. So Alpha uh, Alpha Hatsusenu, um, she's voiced by Hekiru Shina, already mentioned twice. Uh, for us, we would remember her as Hikaru Shido in the unreleased Magic Knight Ray Earth episode, which was our first thing we recorded <laughs> in this podcast. May it never see the light of day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was actually kind of struggling to come up with good examples for people because I don't know if people remember Sorceress Stabardvin, in which she's... I mean, it received the new show earlier this year. It did, but she is not the new one. She was in the original. She was also in Idle Defense Force Hummingbird, Kyo Century Beast, and a bunch of other... But Alpha... I'm not quite sure how to describe her. Like, because she's, like, our focus character, you can't, we kind of, like, partially, like, just identify with her. She's clumsy. I, I think that's very... Show. Yeah. Uh, like I mean, the the like she didn't think to ask how the camera worked until like Coconut Hitter like almost left. There's just the part in two where she burns the bean, and then when she's cooking the corn, like she's covered in burns and scratches. She's definitely the type to stare off into the distance for hours on on end, as we see in episode two. I'm not sure whether I would call her resourceful or happy go lucky because she's able to like live her life just fine, leaving leaving on a travel with only like a small backpack. Yeah getting food, working various jobs. Like I say, she somehow managed to acquire a van. <laughs> I don't know, maybe people just give her stuff, I don't know. Very much the trusting type, but that's okay in this world. There's no pedophiles asking her to step into a van. I mean, she could be like 100 years old for <laughs> Although it definitely doesn't seem like that. Though it does, we, we do learn, I think in episode one, she mentions to Coconut that she's a, proto, she's a very early model. But yes. it doesn't seem like she has very many life experiences. Because every single thing in the manga is about new things she's experiencing and discovering. She's really stuck in the cafe, isn't she? Yeah, it's, mostly. it's like it's not really clear like what her original purpose was. She's she's like lives like ten kilometers away from like the nearest bus station. Like uh she has to like go on like regular shopping bike rides to Yokoha Yokohama, but she probably only does like once a week or stuff. I will say, who the hell has five sugars in a coffee? <laughs> me, me, I fucking hate coffee. Yeah, I, I I hate coffee too, which is why I don't drink coffee. Yes. <laughs> I also don't drink coffee, but if I had to I like, would in, put as in, much in sugar fairness, in she did burn those coffee beans. But I still think that like five sugars is the wrong way to go. She to. does also live and work in a coffee shop, so one of the things that really doesn't play an important role in these few episodes, at least not on the surface layer, is the fact that she's a robot. On a thematic level, it's quite important. But <laughs> on, a, on a story level, it, it barely gets mentioned. And if you, didn't, if you weren't told the fact that she's a robot, you wouldn't know. Because she has to eat and drink like normal people. Yeah, I mean, we do. other people seem to know she's a robot. But... Um... We certainly can't tell, <laughs> except for the fact that she has green hair. Uh, and of course, the lightning strikes thing, but still, forgot about that. But... And, you know, one of the first things is her interfacing with the camera. But that, we don't know. That could have just been advanced technology that worked for humans. Like... <laughs> I guess, let us design a camera that we use with our tongue. I mean, humans have made stupider things. Tongues have a lot of nerve endings. And tongues do have a lot of nerve endings. It, it, it's not actually the worst idea. Yeah. Except for the fact that we don't really have like that level of sensitivity in our tongue. Like we uh-huh. we don't have like a retina on our tongue, at least not as far as I know. Alpha is just a very pleasant character to observe. But 
that's about as far as she goes within the confines of this anime. Yeah. It sounds like she goes further in the manga. Uh, certainly. There, I feel like there's a lot more growing up, uh, especially towards the later part when we actually start to see like Takahiro growing up at the people around her visibly aging and moving on with their lives. Where, where Susei is the same, so there's a lot more reflection there on her part. And once Kokona moves in with her, there's more between them. We see a little bit of that between the two OVAs, because there's like the 30-chapter difference. Takahiro has grown up quite a bit, and by the time she gets home, he's taller than her. Uh, Oji-san is just Oji-san. He's just there. Uh, he's old oak. Uh, the Doctor and uh, Makai, aren't, or Makai, whatever her name is. Maki. Maki, uh, who's just Takahiro's friend, aren't really characters. Neither is the Misago, who is like a sort of an immortal naked robot that just hangs around and only shows itself to children, because children are pure. Now that could be creepy, but in these sorts of Iashike-monono romance, <laughs> it's a surprisingly common character to have, because we have Keichi in uh, Aria, and we have Peter Pan in Amanji. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Peter. I forgot about that arc. God. So really, there's only Kokone left to talk about. I will say, Oji-san and, although we don't really, and the Doctor, the fact that we don't learn a lot about them doesn't really matter in the the show. Like, we learn enough. Like, it's not a hugely complicated world, or at least not until you start learning about, like, the Doctor making robots and planes and shit. The characters in here, they're all just... They're not here to be characters in necessarily that interesting in their own right. They're here to play off Alpha. We have Oji-san with his kind of experience, who's kind of the experienced old person, to give advice to Alpha to help her grow. And we have Takahiro as the one who's younger to Alpha, so he can look up to her as kind of like a little brother figure, and she can, he can depend on her, and she can teach him a little bit, thus assuming... Uh, her own kind of parental role, almost. You teach me and I teach, I'll teach you. you. Oh, I can you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> On to Kokone. Actually, this is an interesting question, because Kokone's name is Kokone Takatsu. And I don't know if the manga tells you where the name Takatsu comes from, because we know that uh, uh, Alpha's name, second name, comes from her own. Uh, she's voiced by Akiko Nakagawa. Uh, I would say that two roles really account for the majority of her credits. She's got Miyuki Nanase in Kindaichi Case Files, and she's been a few different things in the Precure franchise, although I did learn that both of them were uh, involved in the Mega Man franchise. But I don't have a whole lot to say about her as a fan, because I've, I still haven't watched Precure to my shame. We'll be doing it at some point. She was fine in this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what did we think about uh, Kokone? It's interesting that she presents uh, kind of, she's not aloof or anything or like standoffish, but she's a lot more reserved when she's around Alpha than she is when uh, she's on her own. Although, uh, granted, I'm comparing OVAs made by completely different people because you don't really, you only really see her once with Alpha in the Quiet Country Cafe. But, you know. uh, yeah. In all four of these episodes, she's she's the character of the second most screen time, yet we get so very little of her once of her own personality once again, besides the fact that she's clearly into Alpha. Yes. <laughs> uh, that, that is definitely a thing in the manga as well. Like They eventually live together and she moves into the cafe, uh, but it's, there's just not enough time to fully develop anything 
beyond this initial infatuation. You you get a little bit of it mostly in the first the first part of the third episode when they're going out on mopeds together because she's like got her own moped. She's like kind of taking after Alpha a little bit. Yeah, there um there's the part where uh, Alpha is asleep and like she goes to, like put her hand over her chest like maybe it's just to feel her heartbeat but it definitely looks like she's getting some. <laughs> And then, of course, we have the mentioned uh, blanket sniffing uh, scene in episode four. Well, the, the pillow sniffing is the most gay thing she does. It's like the, ooh, alpha. And the, uh, as she sniffs it. Uh, I, should, I should really read this manga. It's, uh, it's like a bunch of the things I want. Like, sexuality really isn't that big of a topic in this manga. I think the biggest one is, the biggest mention in the, the entire manga is very early on when they drive their scooters, they get a little electricity, and it kind of looks like in the manga, you could read it as them be getting turned on by the electricity in the scooter, but that's about it. Oh, you mean sexuality in that sense, okay. Yes, in actual sex. There is a really exploitable image um, in the fourth uh, OVA when she's talking to Nye, where it just looks like she's looking at his crotch when he's talking about being a male robot. Yeah, uh, <laughs> which is funny. Which was which was quite funny. Uh, so you know, on this note, because you talked earlier about the like uh, way they transfer information is more like they feel it than anything. Mm. Having that expressed through them kissing, which you know is the Symbol of ultimate emo- uh, emotional uh, interchange among some people, or at least in media, you know, mm-hmm. it's pretty. It's pretty good. It's also like the first interaction. Well, the it's part of the thing they have, which seems a bit weird uh, when you when you like. Well, in a human context, yeah. So okay, here I'm your postman. Give us a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> Give a kiss. Uh, at least it makes your mail very secure and can't be stolen. Actually, that, that's a good question. If you forcefully kissed her, could you steal the message? I don't know, because there is a thing later on in the manga where uh, she's like delivering a message to someone else and they get images of Alpha. The final important character we should probably talk about, then, is the world itself. I'm so glad that you consider the world a character, Danny. Good job. Yes. Good job. <laughs> it is yeah. literally like the most important part, one of the, the second most important yes. character in this entire manga and show. Just like in Ari. <laughs> <laughs> before we start, before we start the, uh, talking about the world, I just have another uh, thing the author said and wrote. The rising tides are not meant to be commentary on climate change, but rather the result of a natural cycle. Within that natural cycle, the humans are all like ants, moving up and down, together with the water levels. It's not some sort of comeuppance for something that humans did. They're just pushed around by nature. Also going back to those earthquakes and natural disasters you mentioned earlier. It's funny, because he's literally talking about climate change, yeah. but, you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's talking about just the uh, natural rate of climate change, not uh, human exacerbated. Like the first, the most obvious thing that we sort of see is that, um, like some people would even try and describe this as like post-apocalyptic, but not in the usual way, because we've got all these like glimpses of previous civilization, like just submerged below water and stuff. This already falls more into the post-post-apocalypse world, where we've already kind of rebuilt. We assume there was an apocalypse at some point, but we rebuilt most of it already. And now we're just kind of like near the original near, where it's all just fading away slowly again. 
But uh, one of the nice things about this is just like an Aria, when you like learn a lot of stuff about Venice just from reading it and picking up, you learn a bunch of stuff about Yokohama, like the Yokohama Landmark Tower already mentioned. So they, they mentioned like a few places. They mentioned like Kamakura, Enoshima, the, Anas- the Asahina Pass, uh, which is like one of the entrances to that area. Like the airport where she goes is actually is in current times an army air force base, which I guess makes sense because it's one of those like airports in a field. So if you just pay attention to like what the OV what the names they're using are, you could probably just pack uh, probably just like uh, work it out for yourself. Like okay, this is the Asahina Pass, so then this must be the Nam- the Nameri River, and so on and so on. And she lives so far out of Yokohama, which is why I knew that the Orthanc Tower had to be, had to be the biggest tower in Yokohama. Which is, I'm kind of hoping because I haven't read all the manga that like she got to see more of the seven entrances, but I suspect she didn't. And like a lot of the chapters in the manga are just like named after places and stuff in it. But the world isn't just the landscape, although that is like important. It's like some of the assumptions that like have been baked into this world, like the existence of robots and stuff. Yeah. Man are robots weird in this setting. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. they're just people. Well, first of all, they're just people. Second of all, like, why did we invent these things? Uh and also, how is our technology able that we can make like realistic human robots, but like everything else is just the same? <laughs> everything else looks like kind of the 1940s. Um one of the things we should mention, I think we already did mention, is like also that there is no explanation of how the world got to this place. So anything we say is just speculation. Yes. Uh, yeah. Show don't tell. I do remember reading that the novel the, about this franchise does explain a little bit more about it, but it's very different from the actual show. Uh, uh, so it's really not worth considering or talking about. But yeah, these robots can consume food. Uh, uh, it is mentioned, I think, in the manga that Alpha is sick if she eats animal protein. So we have yes, some robo-vegetarianism. Yes. We have skin printing. We can just print skin. We were worrying about the economy, but I guess that's been solved by the fact that, yes, there is money. Unfortunately. But, like, how how is she able to, like, buy stuff when she gets has so few customers? Like, how, and like she's clearly drinking, like, eight-tenths of the coffee herself, she says. Yeah. It's a weird, it's a weird little detail that I kind of wish they had said. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's kind of frustrating because it kind of goes against the like uh, the like theme of the rest, like the themes of the rest of the uh, uh, story. But whatever. Also, one thing that doesn't show up in this at all, but at several points we see that trees and various plant groves have essentially grown to form buildings and like street lamps that turn on at night. Mm. And it's essentially nature recreating the prior world by itself that's cool mm-hmm. yeah it's a shame they didn't adapt that here but i understand it's like a very minor thing but it's really cool it's a really cool detail i wanted to mention i kind of wish that i just had some like um concept art of like the world as the author imagines it after everyone's dead yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, just, it's just the robot well that's why you need to buy the um the postcard book Okay, so with these happy notes out of the way, we should probably get around to rating these shows. And uh, like, since we've talked about them, so rate them separately. Denny, how many cups of coffee are we buying this show out of five? Yeah, so I think the first two episodes, as I've said, they just get five cups of coffee from me out of five. 
It was great. I have very little to complain about, and most of the things that we did mention, such as the odd vehicle animation, the emphasis on the gun, are things that that are more on the technical side rather than the thematic side. They still belong within the story. It's just a choice they made that I don't necessarily maybe don't understand. They maybe made it for a good reason. So I just think a five five out of five is like the first time I've on this podcast, this show just deserves it. As for the second two episodes, they were still very good, but there was just something about it that was lesser than the first two. So I'm still going to give them a four, but I just didn't enjoy them all that much. How about you, Freya? I will echo Denny, but I won't buy coffee because I hate coffee. <laughs> I will buy this show five cups Five cups? No, definitely not. I will buy this show five cups of some drink that I like more than coffee because the first OVA is really good and relatively unique, as I think I said earlier. It's such a a really good, thematically solid little pair of OVAs. Uh, And also it does a bunch of the shit that I like, like having the long reflective scenes of uh, just uh, the natural world, even though I'm kind of, I don't really like, uh, I don't think the idea of a harmonious apocalypse is particularly relevant anymore, but you know, it's a nice aspiration, I guess. (laughs) Uh, But that's fine. That's that's not a knock against the show at all. OVA 2, it's not bad. It's got some pretty good scenes in it. It's a three and a half out of five, okay. Okay. Uh, This is tough. I gave Ghost Hound four and a half right yes i gave number six a four and a half yes is it better than ghost hound and yes <laughs> no does ian think it's better Definitely as good as ghost hound i just don't know if it's better fuck it it can have a five i'm not quite sure I, the, the second one's actually harder because I really, really like the third episode, but the other one drags it down. Then give it a four point five, and then we've got. I think I could give it a four and be and be comfortable with that. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Well, those those are our ratings. So (laughs) there you go. You have a five out of five anime. Be grateful. (laughs) Go watch it, and then read the manga because it's probably better. Yes. Danny, do we have any facts for us? Yes, we have one piece of trivia. Namely, Cafe Alpha itself is based on a post-World War II house that was built for American military families during the occupation of Japan. And both the author and his editor saw a lot of those while they were growing up as a child. So this is what they eventually settled on for the the design of the house. Interesting. (laughs) Neat. I mean, I already mentioned all the places that are named after things in uh, Yokohama. But I would have to also mention that because they keep bringing up flight and flying, um, the robot series that Alpha and Kokone is, is the the A7M2 and A7M3 type of robot and the suggestion is that they're probably named 
after the uh, Mitsubishi A7M, which was a Japanese World War II airplane that never saw production. Fucking plane nerds. <laughs> why, why are they so prevalent in anime? The author's uh, next manga is all about uh, Isaki of the Cub. It's all about flying. It's all about planes and aeronautical themes. We need to be flying planes less, not more. Yeah, but, but planes, that's okay, planes. because if we're only enjoying our planes through anime, then it's fine. <laughs> I mean, if we're only flying little small recreational things a couple of times a year, it's okay. Just go play Microsoft Flight Simulator instead, then. Yes. Oh, man, everyone is so into Microsoft Flight Simulator right now, and it's like the early 90s all over again. It's amazing. Yes, yeah, it's, it's cool. <sighs> Denny, before I talk about Microsoft's Flight Simulator, <laughs> yep. what are we watching next week? Next week, now that we've reached these high heights of 5.5, we're diving straight back into the dumpster and we're watching Dimedaler, Prince vs. Penguin Empire. <laughs> oh yeah, that show. Show I, I know either. nothing about, but I've been told it's worth watching. How I don't you... know if that's good or bad. I swear we all watched it. Nope, we definitely have not. We're the Anime Research Group, a weekly podcast coming out every Thursday, more or less. If you'd like to tell us what you thought of the episode or suggest something for future episodes, you can follow us on Twitter at research underscore anime or drop us an email at researchanime at gmail.com. 